Warriors Life Podcast 2021 Episode 9. I'm Will Evans and here with maybe the most special guest we've had on the show, uh, the great Nick Tedeschi. Um, have I said that right, Nick? I don't think I've ever uh, learned to properly say your, your surname. Tedeschi? Tedeschi? Tedeschi, you nailed it. We've only worked together for, what, 10 years? Yeah. Uh, Will, but uh, before we finally got around to last name. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> of the email, so um, yeah, we're good to finally... Finally, um, get to the bottom of that one. Um, I've known Nick for coming up on 10 years now. We've had a lot to do with each other. Uh, written a book together. Nick's uh, edited uh, all of my other ones. And we've had a great time doing it. But I just want to take you back to uh, the first time I actually laid eyes on Nick. And it was when I picked up my August 28, 2002 issue of Rugby League Week. And uh, it's just after the Bulldog salary cap scandal broke. Picked up as a big issue of Rugby League Week, obviously, one of the most sensational times in Rugby League history. And just in the bottom left-hand corner, I'm holding it up uh, right now for Nick, just to relive it in case he doesn't have it framed on the wall. But <laughs> He does have it framed on the wall. <laughs> it's a, uh, a bespectacled uh, guy in a Bulldogs jersey with probably the longest sideburns I've ever seen. They just about come around and, and meet under your chin. Um, just and you can see even almost see the specks of spittle um, coming coming out of his mouth in the photo. So Nick, take us back to that day first of all, mate. Uh, you were living in Canberra at the time. The the Bulldogs went and played Canberra in the days after the salary cap scandal broke. Um, take us back to that moment and how you came to be on the cover of Rugby League Week. Yeah, that was a that was a, a, a a funny slash dark dark time there. We. Uh, I was I was a Raiders Raiders member at the time, so I was a Bulldogs fan, but lived out uh, lived in Canberra, so I went to all, all, all the Raiders games. Uh, I was actually working for a politician at the time. I was a speechwriter for her, and uh, and kind of word comes through the dogs being here. I, I was yeah flabbergasted, could not believe what was happening. I uh, probably not my finest hour. I rang up uh, the NRL and left a pretty abusive message on the phone. I was pretty fired up. Uh, the dogs come down to, to, to Canberra that day and obviously there was talk whether they would boycott the game, blah, blah, blah. They played the game. It was it was a weird, weird game. It was close. I think the Raiders might have won 38-30 or 38-36. Or it, was a, it was a high-scoring game, I remember that. And I remember at the end it was close and Shavosky was, Clinton Shavosky was goal-kicking for the Raiders and was wasting a lot of time. And I dare say that is when that photo would have been taken. It was uh, uh, time-wasting with the dogs needing to, to score, I think. So um, I went to a game pretty fired up. I think went and smashed a thousand beers afterwards. Uh, walked just, I, was, I was a regular buyer of rugby league week, so just wandered down to the news agency. Uh, picked it up and saw myself on the, <laughs> the cover, which was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. So uh, went and bought a copy and told, told, called mum and dad and said, you're ready to get down to the news agency. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, just to, to properly introduce Nick, um, one of the great rugby league writers, columnists, punters. Uh, he's TAB, New Zealand TAB set of content. He... Um, has the TAB also have the Advantage Line podcast that he does with with uh, Matt Fisk and uh, Paul Moati. Uh, it's a great listen, so we'll have uh, links to that up as well. And also the the uh, seminal rugby league column from the couch, which you'll now find on sportsbet.com.au. 
Nick, I'd have to say that just about be the longest running uh, rugby league column around. How long has it been going for? A good 10 years? Probably. Not long it started 2006. Uh, the company, a long dead company called Punting Ass. So this will actually be its 15th year. So it's nice to eventually start getting paid this year for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, sports. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's been around a while. It was, uh, uh, I started that when I was just trying to get to, to break in as a, a, as a footy writer. And, and yeah, I used to term loosely journalist. It was, uh, I was at a bit of a crossroads in, in, in my life. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't start, you know, I studied arts commerce at, at universities that don't have any journalism degree or whatnot, but was, was pretty interested in this and kind of thought I'd found a niche and uh, that was the, the first one. So we got picked up by a company called called Punning Ace back in the, the many, many years ago and it's been rolling since then. So uh, eventually went to my own, my own website, makingthenut.com in uh, 2010, I think it was, 2011 and then uh, been there ever since. So uh, yeah, look, it's just... It's it, it's a it's it's funny, right? Like I am. It's usually just a Sunday evening kind of you know stream of consciousness breath as to what's going on in the in the in the round. But I'm, I I am surprised by not only the the, the number of people who, who who enjoy it, but the people who yeah who are involved in the game who kind of come and tell you out why that they read it, but would, would never would never would never publicly acknowledge that they, <laughs> that they enjoy it. It's a, it's a bit loose, I guess, is what you'd say. Well, yeah, if you haven't uh, checked out from the couch, it's fairly acerbic and um, it pulls no punches. It's, <laughs> all the points are very well made and very passionately made. Um, but, yeah, certainly it gives anyone who even comes close to deserving a bake an absolute bake and a half. Uh, but the, 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 I've, been, I've been told the best columns are after the Bulldogs have been flogged and I've had a <laughs> bottle of red wine on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> 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 so the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the the hate is is pretty evenly spread among whether it's the, the, a club I like or a club I don't. And have you ever had any backlash from uh, one of your targets? Uh, <laughs> I have actually. Uh, only the once I was out at a West Tigers uh, interview function. I was working for William Hill at the time. We had a table there. And we went to the pub afterwards and uh, a long forgotten player called Nathan Malone came up and absolutely gave it to me for what I'd said about Mitch Moses and Luke Brooks pulled him away. Must be, must be fair, must have been the last time Luke Brooks made a tackle. Uh, <laughs> uh, pulled him away. He was just absolutely giving it to him. Like, the people I was with was a circle of silence. It was, it was, it was pretty stunning, but each uh, their own. Sarah. I guess you've got to uh, put up with that if you're putting those opinions out there. Ah, uh, uh, mate, absolutely. And, and, you know, for the most part, it is passionate, but, you know, there is uh, a relative, you know, tongue in checking as well. Like, it's, this is just a, the point of view of the fan. Fans get wound up, fans get uh, fired up, and, and I'm more than happy with, with to, to put that out there. Yeah, well, you've got to take it with that grain of salt. Otherwise, um, Ben Pomeroy would have zero self esteem. <laughs> And no, no one would, no one would want that. <laughs> um, taking it back a few years, you are you're back in Orange now, and uh, in the Central Tablelands, Western New South Wales. You're born and bred out there. Uh, yeah, born in a town called Cowra, which is about now south of uh, of Orange. So lived there till I was six, and moved to Orange. Uh, been here for. I stayed here throughout all my schooling. Uh, then went off to Canberra to 
to uni. Um, but yeah, back in Orange. Uh, now we, I was in, in Wellington, New Zealand for three and a half years at the TRB. Moved back just for, for family reasons, um, to work, work remotely in that, in that role and have, uh, the plan was to move to Melbourne, to be perfectly honest. We were going to set up shop in Melbourne, then, then COVID hit and everyone works from home and country towns have a lot more appeal to them, as, as you well know yourself, Will. That, uh, yeah. uh, being out of a big city is is a pretty good place to be. Like, we, you, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know our pandemic was sweeping the world in orange, and I'm sure you're the same at the moment. So, Yeah, pretty lucky, mate. Um, and, and how did you come to be a Bulldogs fan? Do you remember your sort of first introduction to, to rugby league fandom? Uh, a, a couple of stories from when I was a, a, a kid. I have this vague recollection. I can't tell how how true it is or how uh, yeah how much your memory is just more things over time. But I do have a recollection of uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, Dad was watching a game and he goes, "Who are you going for? The the blue team or the red team?" And it was the Dogs against North. And I often wonder how what a what a if I'd become a North fan, how, how different my life would be. Um, and I still have a soft spot for North, but it was uh, a six-all draw, I recall that. Um, and I was, I wouldn't say I was hooked straight away, but I, the game I'd, I'd, I'd dig it hooked on was the 88 grand final. Um, I kind of must have been five or six at the time. We'd been, yeah, like all kids, you watch a bit of footy when your dad's got it on, but you don't care that much. I hadn't kind of gotten to the footy card phase. It was my, you I mean, you won at school. Um, and I was yeah, clearly going for the Bulldogs. I said I was a, a Bulldogs fan, and they won that. They won that game, and it was all very exciting. Everyone else in the house was going for, for Balmain from memory. So um, I, I uh, was very happy that uh, Canberra got in then. And then uh, it was just from, from then on. I had a mate when I moved to Orange. So that was a pretty moment. A mate called Bossy, who's I'm still still good mates with. He um, he he was from a diehard rugby. I, die-hard rugby league family, like mum and side passionate. He was, he's a shark man for some reason or other, but uh, um, it was like super passionate, like footy cards. I remember getting the David Middleton annual, the David Middleton annuals, which I just loved back then. We'd borrow them from the library or get them for Christmas. I just absolutely loved them. And then, yeah, this is, this is what a sick I was for rugby league. I'd be out in the backyard replaying the games. Myself, yeah, of course, you never saw them. So, you know, I'd be replaying, you know, Illawarra against, you know, the Gold Coast, Gold Coast Seagulls, Jeff Bagman crosses over in the corner. <laughs> Great Jeff Bagman. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, uh, um, yeah, I, I was pretty hooked at a pretty early age and it's never really, you know, it's always been, oh, big sports fan, it's always been first among sports for me. I've always had a, a, a deep, deep passion for it. Uh, funny you should mention the annual. I just got my 2020 annual in the post. Courtesy of David Middleton. Yeah. So shout out to Middle. Oh. Had to really uh, push to get that one done. So I'm glad that the great con- uh, tradition is able to continue. I know, I know. I just absolutely love that annual. I haven't got my 2021 yet, so I'm going to have to uh, get a hold of that one. Yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. And, and Nick, as someone, uh, I think I probably respect your opinion as much as anyone in rugby league. I want to get your your opinion on just on the Warriors in general, historically, where they're at now as a neutral observer, someone that, you know, lives and breathes rugby league but doesn't, isn't uh, blinded by the passion that us Warriors fans have? <laughs> uh, I, I would say overall they've been a somewhat enigmatic uh, club and organisation. You know, I can't, you, you know, 
They're more than me. The, the different number of owners that have been there, the different iterations that have been there. I know you just recently wrote a book on the 25-year anniversary. It's It seems like an organisation that's always starting and never really going anywhere, if you know what I mean. So it's uh, a club that really, like, like, as an Australian growing up in the, you know, who was in the late 90s and the 2000s, the thought was that the Warriors were just going to be huge. Yeah. Like that the Warriors had a whole country behind them. They were going to be another iteration of the Broncos. And it kind of never really came to pass. It's, it's, it's been one of the great changes. And one of the things I was surprised at when moving across to New Zealand, I thought the Warriors and Rugby League in particular was a very regional game. I thought this was limited to, to, to South Auckland. Uh, it was really only the place where Rugby League thrived in New Zealand. And I couldn't have been more wrong. There's no doubt that you know, New Zealand is a rugby union country. But I was shocked that everyone knew the Warriors. Everyone liked the Warriors. And the Warriors are fairly widely supported across the country. It wasn't like there is in Australia a pick a side, you're a rugby league man or a rugby union man. It's just, well, we all love rugby union and and we all love the Warriors. And kind of knowing that has made made their lack of success even more <laughs> more worrying to me over the time that they have had such widespread support and they've just never really been able to, to, to bring it all together. It's you know, I think they've made some really poor decisions over time with, with coaches. I think that they you know they've they've had their challenges with recruitment. And I think they've often gone down the wrong path with, with some of their recruitment. But if you ask me for tw- 25 years of, of where the Warriors are at, it's kind of unfulfilled potential. Is yeah. the for me. I, I still think like the term "sleeping giant" was thrown around uh, Richmond in the AFL for a long time. But I think it's I think it is particularly true with the Warriors. The upside is immense. There's no talk of a second New Zealand team coming in at the moment, or, or that kind of. Nor should they be. It should just be all in the Warriors and getting that focus on on getting the best young talent. There's only 15 All Black spots or 21 All Black spots. Yeah, there's there's so much potential to kind of get good, talented players who come play league at a junior age. And I'm just not sure that that's being done to its fullest potential at the moment. And I think that as an organisation, a lot of shortcuts have been taken over over time. That's probably put the club in not the not the best position. Yeah, I've been pretty critical recently of, of just the, the way that they're probably one of the poorer teams in the entire NRL at scouting around the country. Yep. So many uh, clubs. How many good Kiwis? How many good Kiwis are there in the NRL that aren't playing for the Warriors? Oh, unbelievable. I think I, I came up with this. I went for a bit of a dig from after Sean Johnson made his test debut. And I, there's something like um, from then, so it's 2012 until mm-hmm. into 2019, about 50. Kiwis have debuted for New Zealand since Sean Johnson and only about nine of them debuted from the Warriors. Um, wow, that's incredible. We, I think we bought more back from other clubs at overs probably than yep. actually debuted. And, and, you know, a lot of those were were uh, sort of one test kind of guys like when Isaac John, uh, who's at Penrith, but uh, Havili and, and guys like that, there's hardly anyone that had gone on to have a great Kiwis career as well. So they you know, I know they can't keep them all, and that's something that Cameron George said to me recently. But you know, they're not keeping, not getting any of the. Any of them. Um, it's the same problem with the Broncos in Brisbane at the moment, right? Like that's their argument as well that we can't keep them all. Well, good clubs keep the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Roosters can't keep them all either, but the Roosters are keeping, are identifying keeping the good ones, and they're putting proper values on them, and. They're not trying to lowball them on their way through. They're just like identifying these are guys we think are really, really important. We're going to, yeah, 
We're going to pay these guys slight overs as 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds to keep them in the system. We're going to pay them 150000 instead of fifty instead of 40000 and make them get a job. Like, it's there, there are ways around this stuff, and it's 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 been stunning. Like, I know, I know for a long time, Manly and Canterbury in the 90s were, were particularly good at scouting in New Zealand. Canterbury probably well into the, to the, to the 2000s. I know the, the Storm and the and Souths have done a, a really good job identifying kind of New Zealand talent over the, the, the last bit and and the Roosters in particular. They've yeah, absolutely nailing it so, over there. So it's, uh, it is it is disappointing, but it is something that, you know, is within the Warriors' capabilities of fixing. That's where, you know, it, it is, it's always going to be hard to bring people back there. Like I, I was surprised having someone, as an Australian who moved to New Zealand, you always think that you know, in Australia, we always think of New Zealand as almost just another state. Yeah. yeah, it's just a little bit different. Uh, and you've you've done the, the move as well. I, I've I've found it fairly significantly different, New Zealand, for both in both good parts and bad parts. But it is it will be hard to recruit the best players. Like you're you're going to New Zealand. The Warriors will struggle to to sign a top echelon player not from New Zealand at market rate. They will have to pay overs. Whereas if you can kind of foster these juniors coming through. But uh, that's a really good way to do it. And I think one of the great tragedies of the, the Holden Cup going by the wayside was, yeah, no team appreciated the competition more than the Warriors because it was a way to showcase. I, 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 I might be convoluting something here, but I, I think the highest selling jersey in New Zealand for uh, about 10 years ago was their under-20s jersey, not the, not the, the first grade jersey because it was, it was such a hit when Conrad Harrell and that were coming through that, that this team was yeah, a team full of you know, rising superstars and people love watching him and people love getting behind him and I think it was you know, very kind of yeah, it was very yeah, New Zealand and, and now we've we've lost that. And I think it's really, really hard to kind of yeah, to, that, that hurts the Warriors more than hurts any other time. And it's a kind of overlooked um, factor, but they dominated the under twenties, won a couple of comps, and then just just the bottom fell out of that team and they I think they ran last in the last NYC competition. It was just sort of bewildering. Did they? Um, not wow. sure how there was such a decline. Um, yeah, and, and just, I guess, the, the quality of players that came from those teams declined as well. We weren't getting as many of the, the good ones as just sort of fringe first graders. And it's not really ever been any explanation why that happened. But It was a, a particularly poorly run organisation from around that 2012, 2013 onwards, like in terms of like identify like head coaches. Some of the hirings were utterly bewildering. Like, I, I was all for giving Bluey a run as coach. I, I actually had no problem and I probably would have stuck him on the year. I don't know what Warriors fans think of that, but the hiring of Matt Elliott was perplexing to say the least. Um, Andrew McFadden's a great assistant coach. So I had no problem with him getting a go, but he's never going to be the guy who's really going to probably get you over the line on that one. And then to go from, to Carney and then to Brown, I, I just I find utterly perplexing. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the jury's obviously still out on Brown. It's early days. I know that you're uh, were certainly one of the more critical people of, of that. The, the, the verdict's been returned for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you already uh, you already signed you and delivered it. Yeah, I just don't think I just don't think like, I just I just have an aversion to recycling coaches. Yeah, hundred percent. Who haven't got success? Like, there's a long history against them ever achieving any notable success. Like that. Like when you get a recycled coach, you're probably not winning a wooden spoon. Like you're probably avoiding the embarrassment, but you're severely capping your upside, and you're not going to bring in the next Trent Robinson or Craig Bellamy or Justin Holbrook. Like the Warriors had every chance to, to to make a run 
at a Holbrook if they were a bit more on the ball. And same with Canterbury as well. Like, and you're going to recycle coaches. Like, my knock on Nathan Brown, like, I, I do think Nathan Brown will be a popular coach. I think he's the kind of coach who might be needed after a Stephen Kearney and the players are obviously off him for a, a fair way out. But I think it's going to be... Like, that severely limits the upside of the Warriors. I, I just I don't see players getting better under Nathan Brown. And a, and a three-year deal just seemed to be a ticket to shelling out a few hundred grand in, you know, 18 months' time. 2024, yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't understand it. It's not like he was in demand um, that he's, you know, going to reject a two-year deal. Or that yeah. I found most uh, perplexing about, about that side of it, other than... I'm constantly surprised by long-term deals. Uh, given to coaches when that coach isn't Bennett, Bellamy, Robinson, like or one of the elites, because there's, there's 16 jobs yeah. and probably you know, 20,000 people who want them. <laughs> like, it's, it's a seller's market. It's very rare that t- two clubs are after the, uh, the same coach. I mean, the Todd Payton situation last year was fairly rare, but you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, incredibly rare for uh, 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 an unproven coach. Yeah. Like normally, like you, you might get that when Bennett's on the market or something like that. But it's it, and even then, like when Bennett will be on the market this year, no one signed him. Like you could have given Brown a one-year deal, and so he went and then and then gone look for Bennett. Like there's, you know, I I would say that there's there would have been some there would have been some chance when Bennett would have come across. Yeah, but he does have a he does have a a, a soft spot in his heart for New Zealand rugby league. Yeah, it would be the ultimate test as well. I mean, yeah, I'm. I'm that's, I guess, the ultimate hope for a Warriors fan is that one of these super coaches is going to want to take on that that challenge of being the the one to unlock the potential and, and all that. But yeah, um, instead we've got Nathan Brown for three years. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, hopefully they uh, yeah start showing a little more attacking flair. Also, this is about Nathan Brown teams. They don't, they don't usually tackle very well, but. Uh, and they do usually score points. We haven't seen much flair in the first couple of weeks in the Warriors, so no, that's how that changes. On attack, uh, you're not going to challenge any of the best teams on a regular basis with that sort of game plan, so it's back yeah. to, to say the least so far. Incredibly conservative. I, I was I was stunned. Newcastle were there to be beat last week. I thought the Warriors were, were, were good things. And, yeah, I will say this about the Warriors. Like, Todd Payton may have only coached the team for less than a year. I think he's left a pretty good legacy of a real heart in that side yeah. of defending, trying your best every game. Something that, you know, sadly the Warriors have not always had. Yeah. And I think that um, that's a pretty good legacy to have, to have left there. And, you know, I think if he had his time again, he might have signed that Warriors contract rather than uh, <laughs> head to the Cowboys. Not having a great time uh, here in Townsville at the moment, but, uh, yeah. Not sure it's going to last that long either, to be honest. So. No, it was, yeah, written in a few cages. We'll see how Toddy goes. So have a... Place in the heart of all Warriors fans after what he did last year, though. Um, for sure. Yeah, I've got a few questions for you, Nick. A bit of some, uh, yes, yeah, so your favourite things about the game now and and in the past. Um, so I'm just going to rattle them off, mate. Who's who's the best? Yep. Who's the best player in the NRL now? Best best player in the NRL now. Uh, I'm going to say Cameron Munster. Yeah. I'm t- with you there, I thought you might plump for for James Tedesco. Just the similarities in your name. I remember when he, I, I, he before I he, do love Teddy. He was so excited well, when he when he debuted back in 2012. It is so good because because Tedesco and Tedeschi actually mean the same thing. So oh. Tedeschi is just a multiple 
it's also just the plural of Tedesco. So it means uh, it means German and Italian. So he is uh, James the German and I am Nick the Germans. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Munster, yeah, it's got my vote as well. And I'm going to ask you who the best player you've ever seen and your favourite player that you've ever watched. Best player I've ever seen, oh, it's, it's, this is a bit of a cop out, I'm going to say too. The, the, the most talented player I've ever seen was Andrew Johns. was just, could do anything on the football field. But I have a respect for Cameron Smith of turning up week in, week out and operating at a high level every week, all the time, durability. So I'm, I'm going to give Cameron Smith the edge over Joe. Yeah. Uh, Favourite player, Terry Lamb. Yeah. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt. I, Terry Lamb is, is by far and away my favourite, but uh, uh, a close second, I suppose, would be Craig Polamanta. Absolutely love Craig, Craig Polamanta. Oh, wow. Yeah. We Craig Polamanta, man. That's, you've got, that's got to stem a lot from the, well, obviously, 95 grand final and also his performances in the 98 final series. Yeah, the 98 final series went a long way. Um, it's also, as much as I love the game, now, it, it is impossible to get the passion for the game that you had when you're 14 or 15 years old. But there is something about being a kid and the love you've got for the game, like of players, particularly of players. Yeah. Like, I respect players and like players, and, but like just a pure, unadulterated love. And I, I've had the good fortune of meeting Terry Lamb a couple of times since, and he has lived up to that billing of being like a great bloke and a, like, a great fellow. I remember I went to his final game turned out not to be his final game, but his final regular season game in 95, about the Cowboys 66-4, Terry Lamb farewell day at Belmore, Belmore Sports Ground. And um, I got there and I bought a T-shirt and I saw Terry. And I went, Mate, would you sign this? And he was like, everyone was after him. And he just took the time out and signed everything. And he was, like, before the game, he didn't want, he was magnificent. So, um, and then met him in later years and was interviewing him for a uh, project I don't think ended up getting off the ground, but we, we I did a couple of hours with him. And, just talking about his career and his yeah, time, and, and he just showed me through all the Bulldogs, you know, the new setup in there and all through Belmont. And couldn't have been a nicer fellow. So, uh, picked a good one. They're a bit opposite to my favourite cricketer, which was Dean Jones, who turned out to, you know, not be the, not be the nicest fella. Yeah, <laughs> sad ending for him. But uh, he certainly wasn't. I went to a Shield game. I must have been the only person in the crowd and waited three days for an autograph and got nothing for him. He wouldn't no, come out. So. joking. That's a fine, but rugby league people are typically pretty good people. Yeah, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting Terry Lamb in Dunedin of all places uh, when the Bulldogs ah. played the Warriors there a few years ago and, and got a chat with them at a at a high school. So that was a, a bit of a thrill, not too often that you get to interview uh, legends like that face to face, particularly over here. So yeah, was, and just a, a lovely man. Yes. Um, have you got a favourite warrior? Is there a warrior that's sort of Got your uh, juices flowing over the years. Favorite warrior, all right? Let's go back to the, the earlier. I was a huge Greg Alexander fan, so I was a massive, a massive Brandy fan coming on. Uh, these days, until he betrayed the game and and, and the code in his country, Roger Tuivasa. <laughs> I absolutely, I've loved Roger over the years. Steve Price was. I was. I was pretty bitter when Pricey left the Dogs, but I thought he he did a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job with. Uh, uh, with the Warriors and, and over there, to be honest, it's, it's very hard to go past Stacey. Like I know that's a bit of a cop out, but Stacey was—I don't know—I just love watching Stacey. I, I kind of—I just love his type of footballer. Just the kind of always giving his best. Yeah, you know, a lot of skill, cared so much, strong in defence. 
I'd, 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 I'd say Stacey there for sure. There's some, I was, I was starting to think about this after, yeah, when we were doing the book and like how many, how many like really like enjoyable warriors that were to watch play. Like they didn't always show up every time, but there was some like super enjoyable ones. Like, I think of being on the wrong side of a few. Like Francis Miller used to absolutely destroy the Bulldogs every time we played. <laughs> yeah. So got no fondness for him, but uh, um, yeah, I think there's been some, some absolute rippers. Uh, uh, one of my favourites was uh, Michael Witz when he was arrogantly putting the ball over his yeah. <laughs> over his head in the, against the storm. Man. He was a good player. So, uh, oh, I've got yeah, I've got to put Stacey on top. Um, the, speaking of Francis Mal, I've talked about this on the podcast several times before, but uh, I was never a fan. He was just a player that, that wound me up. I thought he was overrated and just just one of those ones that you know that, uh, that I wasn't into and. Um, we were having a few beers at my flat at uni before that 2003 qualifying final. And I think uh, Mally actually put one down. I'd, I'd forgotten about this, but I, I watched the replay on Sky the other day and he, he put one down, bombed a try early and I was bagging him out. I was like, yeah, it's hopeless. You know, I can't believe it. Get Justin Murphy back on here. Um, and then he went and scored five tries, all-time finals record and um, and just made me look like a, a complete Muppet. So, it's, yeah, the, <laughs> We've coined it Francis-Nelly syndrome now. If you slag someone off and then they just come out and have a blinder or do something amazing, so. Oh, I think I, I think I've got Frank. I think I've got Ben Hunt syndrome. If that's the case <laughs> after his ripper the other night. <laughs> Jeez, aren't people getting carried away about him after one good game? Oh no! Uh, Incredible. I guess the team who's going to finish bottom four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have a, a favourite game or a favourite moment that just absolutely sticks out to you? Uh, my favourite game of all time was unquestionably the 98 preliminary final. I hated most of it, Canterbury, Parramatta, but the final 11 minutes and you know, he just had everything. You know, despair, I was the right age, grand final on the line, hated rival. It was all over. Miracle comeback, some dramatic moments. Yeah, the complete implosion of a player or carriage. It, was, <laughs> it, it, it had a lot of... I would watch the replay of that game, or at least highlights from it, at least twice a year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love that game. It's the bulldog equivalent of of the um, two thousand eight qualifying final for the Warriors. Just that you know amazing finish, pulling it out of the bag when they had no right to. It's really. all over. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it was. You know, what's I've forgotten in that that series as well was like we had a similarly close call against the Knights the week before. Like yeah. we were down, I think sixteen nil to the Knights. Um, and came back then, so we kind of seemed a team of destiny in that one. Because like when we won the premiership in '95, we were outsiders in all four games, and it kind of just built up as a team of destiny. And like we, I really thought like '98, here we go again. Like I had that feel to it. So we had you came from ninth, which is just wild. They had a ten-team final series because they had so many teams, and to come from ninth to the grand final, two extra time wins after 16-point comebacks. It was just crazy. And it's a shame that Knights game doesn't kind of get the, the uh, I guess, accolades or memories it, it deserves because of what happened a week later. But that was an unbelievable game too. Absolutely. It was, it was an absolute ripper. And I guess for that one, it probably just didn't have a contest. So, of course, you know, the four players had left, the filthy four had left Canterbury you know, three years, well, two years earlier. And there was still plenty of hatred there from, you know, McCracken, Smith, Payne, Dimmick. 
they uh, were around. And the Eels team still in 98. Yep. They all were. I think they all played that game. I don't, McCracken may not have played that game. You know, you may, I don't recall that, but uh, um, they were all still at, they were all still at the club. Um, I'm going to move on to a topic that's very dear to your heart as well as rugby league, and that's punting. Uh, no, <laughs> no one knows more or loves a rugby league punt more than more than Nick. Um, do you remember what your first bet was, Nick, on a rugby league? I remember my first bet. The uh, first rugby league bet. I don't recall my first rugby league bet. We used to do... Uh, well, they don't, they don't have it over in New Zealand, but they have a thing called footy tab over here, which was big when sports betting wasn't really legal. And it was a bit like a lot of... You have to pick all the all the games, all the margins. So, yeah, you'd be 1 to 12, Quinella, all that kind of stuff. So I remember doing that with the old man mid-90s, but I don't recall my first rugby league bet. My first ever bet was Empire Rose in the 88 Melbourne Cup, so that got me hooked on the putt from a young age. So. <laughs> I actually do remember my first TAB um, rugby league bet. I was thinking about it earlier. Oh, yeah? It was uh, Who was it? It was on Luke Patton to score the first try in the 99 grand final. But old, uh, oh. Craig Fitzgibbon came off the bench to, to steal it at Massive. Bitsy. Yeah. Bitsy. Yeah. Oh, the general. I absolutely didn't mention him earlier. I absolutely love the general. Good memory to good memory to good memory to recall that one there, Will. Yeah, I don't know, it just, just stuck with me. Um and started me on a path to a long, long list of um poor betting options and, and <laughs> disappointing losses. Jeez, I'd hate to see the tally after after the years. Um I'm sure yours is a lot better than mine because you bet with your head rather than your heart. I take it you're a you're a very sensible punter. Basic, basic <laughs> I don't know about that. and stats and history and I I would say I'm a pretty good judge and use stats well and probably don't have the discipline to be a really good punter. So <laughs> yeah, I will have I'll find three or four that I really like over a weekend and then we'll go and bet on twelve. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. But uh, um. Yeah, look, I, I take a very trends-based approach to, to how, how I, I do it. So I keep um, you know, making that.com as a free database on it. We've got betting data on every NRL game going back to 2008. Um, and we kept stuff like who's covered the start, you know, who has the average margin of victory, who games have gone over, under, all that kind of stuff. I really look for, for, for trends and spots. I think they hold up over a period of time. One... One angle that has been absolutely money until until PBL came in and, and, and spoiled the fun was big early season home underdogs. If you were getting four points out, they would just cover every time. It was there was no safe bet. They'd cover it at a, at a clip. And in gambling, you're kind of making money if you can cover at a clip of 53% on these even money shots, dollar ninety picks, so you need to win a bit more than you lose. Uh, they were covering it like 80%. Uh, that's how good this angle was for, for a period of time from... 2008 to 2020, it's the new rules have kind of turned that on its head a little bit. So, uh, as much as I love the new rules and I love PBL, but it's, it's I, I certainly mourn for for this angle. And um, do you have any sort of simple rules to follow for a, for the average or the novice rugby league punter that you would dish out, or is it just uh, yeah. a bit of a lottery? No, try bits of advice. I, I, I try to avoid. Um, I try to avoid being on public teams. I try to avoid getting caught up in, in for lack of a better term, the, the narrative, in terms of oh, this team will, will yeah, they need to win this or they're highly motivated. I think all of that is absolute bollocks. 
to, to be perfectly honest, I'm very much of the view that um, you know, you're probably better off betting outsiders than you are betting favourites. You're better off betting uh, teams that don't win. Uh, early in the year, I, I will say, you know, I'm still not completely off the home underdog thing. It's not as good as it was, but I think there is some... If they're like a good example this week, I'll be backing the Cowboys um, to win and cover against the Titans, even without Michael Morgan. At the moment, I've kind of flipped around. If a really good team like the Roosters is playing the Tigers on the road, give me the Roosters. Like I'm just, I think they, I think they can flog them. But um, I don't think the Gold Coast are at that level yet, so I, I will be looking at, uh, at that. I think a really, really important thing to do when you're betting is to keep abreast of team information. You can get some good angles. You can get burnt. I, I, I backed the Storm plus one and a half last night. Uh, or, I'm not sure this was there, but on uh, on uh, round three of the Thursday night game, when Ivan, when Nathan Cleary was out, thought I was the smartest man in the world, couldn't get enough on. Then uh, Pappenhausen's out, and they jump at about two dollars thirty plus two and a half. So it was, you know, you, you, you don't win them all. So, but keeping on top of that, and being pretty disappointed with how you rate players and what their value to the team is. There are good players who have no value to a team. You know, if you lose a middle back rower. Yeah, if you if you lose Dale Finnecane, he's a great player and there's some intangibles that you can't really factor in. But if he's replaced by Tui Kamikamika or Nelson Sofa Solomona, from a betting point of view, there's no change. Yeah. You you're not doing anything. But if you know, if you're losing Joey Johnson his heyday and you're replacing him with Sean Rudder, well, <laughs> that's a that's a massive change. And and you see a lot of that. so it's not just key positions, it's, it's the roles they play in the team. Yeah. Dylan Edwards will be out for Penrith next week. He's not going to be a huge loss. Yes, he's not a he's a reliable. He's not a super creative player. James Tedesco is out for the for the Roosters. That's a big loss. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's worth a few points. So just being mindful of stuff like that and being pretty clear in your head is what you want. And final one: good coaches. Good coaches matter. Like when you're doing futures betting, you better team with a good coach to win a premiership. Yeah. There aren't too many. There aren't too many uh, ordinary coaches who won premierships recently, and you could do worse than just betting the Melbourne Storm. The Roosters at the start of the year because they might be among the favourites. Here's a tip: they win them all. They win them all too. Yeah, um, that's all fantastic advice. I'm gonna you're gonna have to um, go go back down to even simpler terms now. I'm afraid I've got some of my best mates, and I love love to have a bet. They cannot get their head around the point start and how it works. It's the most simple concept ever. I've tried explaining it to them a hundred times and want to strangle them every time. Can you <laughs> explain to my idiot mates at what, in layman's terms, how the point start works? So the point start from a betting point of view is essentially uh, uh, an artificial line, an artificial number that would theoretically make the teams even. So it's essentially like, what would make this game even? It's, um, it's the uh, Storm against the uh, Gold Coast. Well, the Storm are going to beat the Gold Coast. More often than not, blah, blah, blah. but in 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 your head to make it even, it will be the storm have got to win by thirteen or more points at the line of twelve and a half, or the Titans have got to lose by win or lose by less than twelve. That's what makes this an even game. So, in, in theory, it's the Titans are running onto the start, onto the field with a score, yeah, you know, twelve and a half nil. If they've got a twelve and a half point start, it was a perfect explanation. But I'm guessing my mates are still going to be none the wiser. <laughs> As, as long as they keep hunting, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got any memorable uh, best beats and worst beat stories that you can 
share with us mm. that just stick in your head is, is playing a fantastic bet or one that just still agonise that you agonise over still. I can't remember too many good ones, but I can remember all the bad ones. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with Thursday night when I had the Storm plus one and a half, Justin Ollum last try, and he tries to go over himself and doesn't get over, so that was a pretty bad one. Um, one that really stands out for me, and this was a random game, I had the over 40 and a half points in a Tonga Samoa mid-year test at, uh, at Campbelltown or Penrith Stadium, and it was... Uh, Tonga just destroyed him. It was a 36-4, I think it was. Or it might have been the other way, small, just one. And um, all the fans ran onto the field after the last try. There's still two minutes to go. Game got called off, didn't take the conversion. It was next to the post, would have thrown it over, didn't get converted. Final score, 36-4. Oh, Lost crazy. the over 40 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely tragic. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was the worst of it. Uh, Good ones that I've had over the years. Uh, also, the, backing the Melbourne Storm has been incredibly profitable to me. Uh, the best bet going every year is end of each top four. Uh, I've had some some very nice collects on uh, on Storm winning premierships and minor premierships uh, over the years. Uh, the Eels winning the Wooden Spoon, I think it might have been 2013, Ricky's first year. Ricky's only year at the Eels. They, they were... They were like twenty five to one. That was a that was a oh, wow. a nice 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 tasty collect. Uh, bad beat. I remember Steve Price had a ripper of an Origin game one night. I had him at man of the match for forty to one, and he should have won it and got robbed. But, yeah, okay. these things these things happen. These things happen. Yeah, so there's there's, there's been a few over the years. The, the bad ones stand out more than the good ones. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, then lastly. Um, what about the Warriors to bet on? Do you, because of their enigmatic nature, do you steer clear of them or do you have any rules around betting on the Warriors or do you just take them on face value that week? Do you treat them as uh, like any team? I'm all in on the Warriors this year, actually, so from a betting point of view. I've backed them twice and I'm backing them this week, so it'll be three from three at the big start. They have a tremendous record, recent record as an underdog. They've got a tremendous recent record playing uh, daytime footy, uh, and they've got a tremendous record getting a big start. I used to, I, I used to always be against um, be against the uh, Warriors just because you just one didn't know what you were going to get, and two they seem to be overvalued by the market. They seem to be constantly priced to their best, not what you're probably likely to get. Uh, I still never back the Warriors from their favourite. But they're not favouring much these days, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can rattle off some stats for you since 2000. I've got some, I've got some numbers here on on uh, the Warriors as a uh, betting proposition. So they have played 320 games over the years since 2008. 143 wins, uh, minus 10% profit on turnover. If you're backing them uh, in head-to-head betting, that's the fourth worst in the NRL since 2008. Uh, their cover record, they cover at 49%. So they kind of covered near on 50-50. So uh, not much in it there. And they go over at 52%, which makes them the second, the third biggest over team oh, really? uh, in history. Um, as a favourite, though, their record has been uh, fairly poor. They, are, um, they cover just 48% when they're favoured. And when they're favoured by more than the converted try, which is 
uh, a fairly big number that drops down to uh, 46%. So uh, low to, to take them as big favourites, but like them a lot as an underdog, as a home underdog. Uh, and kind of just without doing the numbers, when they're defended well, I like back in the life. I think they they hold their defensive performances tend to hold as opposed to the days when they used to kind of some weeks they'd score 40, the next week they'd score six, they'd always concede 20. Yeah. These days they can put in some good defenses. So I, I think the big start against the Raiders this week will be too, too much. And uh, um, I, I can see me back in the Warriors more often than not this year. Yeah, biggest standard dogs of the weekend. I was surprised to see. And Canberra yeah. not exactly flying at the moment, but uh, yeah, hopefully they. Yeah, I, I, thought, I think that line's too big. I think it's pretty disrespectful to the Warriors. Yeah. Um, and lastly, mate, I'll uh, let you go after this, but you've you've seen two and a bit rounds. Um, anything that's sort of changed your preseason predict- predictions? We were, I was lucky to join you on the advantage line, and you were all in on the Storm um, Storm Rabbitohs grand final. Pretty adamant about Roosters Raiders top four with Penrith just outside of that. Titans making the eight. Anything? Uh, yeah, I'm probably getting a slightly more concerned about the lack of Cameron Smith at the Storm. I still think the Storm will be will be right there. I think Harry Grant will fix them up. And they've, look, they've lost against two two pretty decent sides. I, I was probably wrong on Parramatta. I had Parramatta missing the eight. I don't think they're that top echelon teams, but I think that they will. Uh, but the gap between the good and the bad teams is too great to, to, to overcome there. So uh, I probably thought the Bulldogs would improve slightly. Uh, they're awful. They're, they're not improving at all. So um, at the top end, not, not, not a lot to change. So, yeah, Penrith are up and about. I expected Penrith to start the season with a bang. Probably not beat Melbourne, but start the season with you know, a real bit of oomph. Uh, Roosters are going better than I thought they would be this time of year. They're, they're absolutely flying at the moment. So... Um, but it's going to come down to, yeah, Roosters were flying this time last year, so it's, it's going to come down to injuries. It's going to come down to that. But I, I can't see anyone outside of those top five teams in the common. Yeah, for what I've seen of Canberra so far, I'm not 100% convinced they can win it either. So. Um, I ran the numbers on the eight-team final series era, and every single year there's at least a changeover of two teams, um, usually more. Seems like this year it could be history-making only one team possibly getting bumped out. It, it seems very similar to last year. Um, you know, Warriors and Titans might challenge, Sharks might drop out in Knights potentially, but otherwise it looks yeah. pretty much like 2020. Absolutely. So what you you know it says four middle teams fighting for two spots for yeah. mine. Uh, the new rules have just brought about uh, yeah for good or real. The NRL was always about parity, and it was always about was jumping in out, and it was always the case. The new rules have, have really meant that the good, not only the good, te- the good talented teams, but the good organisations are pulling away from the bad ones, and it's very hard to make up that ground in the short term. So, I can see, I can, I, I can see a team going through twenty-four rounds this year and winning two games. Yeah. Um, Nick, thanks so much for joining us, mate. So I'm sure that's uh, having someone with your sort of insight on our shows is. Uh, a treat and quite a nice diversion from our usual podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. It's... Talk to you as always, mate. And, um, and yeah, check out Nick's work on, on, uh, from the couch on sportsbit.com.au, the advantage line podcast, uh, for the TAB. Um, and anywhere you can find followers, Twitter, you, you, if you're not getting on Nick's content, you're, uh, really not maximizing your rugby league experience. So, 
Uh, we'll have all his links up there on, on the um, article post for this. But um, yeah, Nick, it's been a pleasure, mate. And thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's uh, been the best hour of the week so far for sure. So absolutely thoroughly enjoyable. Any time for you, Will. Awesome. Thanks, mate.